Hi, I'm Kashpreet Singhal, the Digital Media Specialist for the STEM-E Youth Career Development Program. Welcome to the third episode of STEM-E Interviews. And hi, I'm Dr. Jonathan Wisco. I'm an Associate Professor of Anatomy and Neurobiology at Boston University School of Medicine. I'm a clinical anatomist and medical educator. Okay, thank you. So my first question for you is, can you take us through your life, where you started, and how you got to where you are now? Sure, Kashmi. By the way, it's nice to meet you. Um, nice and this is you it's, a, it's a real pleasure for me to be here. Um, so do you want me to start when I was an embryo? or? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can start um, farther than that. Okay. All right. So um, I will tell you that uh, going into medical education, medicine, biology was all of those uh, uh, fields that you just heard about was the furthest thing from my mind when I was a, um, a student in junior high and high school. In fact, I was actually a pre-law major and um, I love law. I still do. I, I, I love uh, two particular fields of law. Uh, I'm really interested in constitutional law and also in um, um, uh, intellectual property. So, um, but uh, when I went from high school to college, uh, when I, I studied uh, at the University of Washington, I, I started as an economics major with a dual major in communications. I have a, a, a deep interest in writing uh, in the humanities, but I fell in love with science. I had so much fun in my classes. Uh, we were doing really cool things like um, experiments with actual muscle tissue and learning about DNA and, and uh, bacteria and you know smearing petri dishes. I just thought it was really cool. The funny thing is, is it, I was terrible at it. And I mean terrible, like horrible. <laughs> I didn't understand anything that was going on. And on top of that, I, I just, how you are assessed in a science class is very different than how you're assessed in a humanities class. Uh, I mean, I can write and write and write and write. Um, but to answer a multiple choice question was the death of me. And it, it took me years to figure out how to excel at that. I was, I was good enough to get by, but um, I just loved science, you know, and, I, and I, I kept pursuing it because I loved it so much, even though it was painful. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. What are the duties of a medical educator and clinical anatomy researcher? Uh, that's a great question, and I, uh, it's a hard one to answer because um, I think all of us who do medical education, uh, apart from just even doing anatomy and neurobiology, clinical anatomy work, uh, there, you know, you count the number of people that you know in those fields, and there are uh, that many different ways of doing it. You know, there's no, there's no single um, job description for it, mostly because uh, I'm basically creating things as I go along. Now, uh, combining medical education with clinical anatomy, essentially how I define that for me is that I'm really interested in helping people learn and helping people teach through the lens of uh, anatomical sciences in a medical sciences uh, uh, context. So, I mean, day to day, what I'm really concerned about is uh, everything from how a student actually learns and how a teacher teaches the students so they can have a really dynamic learning environment, all the way to designing courses, designing curricula, uh, uh, you know, 
having discussions at the deans or the or the provost level on how all of these systems are, are run together to be able to help learning environments. Now, that sounds very pie in the sky to a certain extent, and, and it is. Um, you know, that type of job where I'm going all the way from student to teacher, all the way up to administration, um, depending on the day that I'm working on, on whatever problem. Uh, ultimately, it, it boils down to how can I help people have a dynamic and, and fun and engaging learning environment. Um, now, the clinical anatomy part it deals with my, my scientific expertise is in the anatomical sciences, and that includes fields like gross anatomy. It includes microscopic anatomy, also known as histology. I'm also trained in neuroscience, embryology, uh, cell biology, and physiology. And I, I, I said those things probably in the order that I'm most trained in. Actually, I'd probably switch physiology and cell biology. Um, but I also do scientific research, and, and my focus for scientific research is involved with uh, how what's the what's the neurobiology of learning and memory across the lifespan, and what are things that prevent us from having good brain function as it's related to learning and memory. Well, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it is, but I love it. I mean, and, and you know, one of the fun things about being a clinical anatomist and a medical educator is I get to do lots of fun, cool things. Uh, I kind of ascribe that to being academically and maybe even physiologically and psychiatrically ADD, but it works for me because I get to do lots of things. Um, and I like that. I, I enjoy that very much about what I do. Um, are you a practiced physician? I'm not, and this is a really good question because many people who go into the STEM sciences, particularly in the biology fields, think that the only thing that you can do is be a physician. And, and I'll admit, when I decided to switch from uh, uh, pre-law to pre-med, I thought, oh, I'll, you know, get a biology degree and, and I'll go into medicine. And, and as it turned out, medicine just wasn't for me. Um, uh, you know, in full disclosure, I, I applied to medical school the first year. I got waitlisted, and then between the time I applied my first year to my second year, I started teaching and fell in love with it. I, I just thought that you know, this is this is really where where I can have the most impact and the most influence. Um, and so, uh, even though I applied it a second time, I got waitlisted again. But by then, I had already been accepted to three um, um, masters and PhD programs. One of the programs was in medical education, not medical education, education in general. One of the other programs was the one that I eventually accepted to go into, which was anatomy and neurobiology. And I started as a master's student, but while I was a master's student, I decided, okay, I'm not gonna go to med school. I've decided to rule that out. And I'm going to do everything I can to get my PhD because I was interested in getting a terminal degree. Um, so one of the things that I discovered along the way was that uh, even though I didn't want to be a physician, I was really interested in the, in the medical sciences. So one of the ironies is that I teach med students now and I've taught hundreds of med students. And, and that is super exciting for me because I know that a little part of me lives in each one of them. It's, it's reassuring that there are multiple jobs. Like if something doesn't work out, I can just easily go into something else. Um, yeah. Is practicing medicine in the future something you're interested in? Probably not. 
I'm probably too old to go back to med school. <laughs> but I mean, could I do it if I if I wanted to? Sure, yeah, I could do it. Um, especially knowing now what I know, and I had some of the maturity and some of the presence of mind. Uh, you know, back in my early 20s when I was applying to med school, I would have done things a lot differently. Uh, so, but now, I, you know, everything right now is I'm I'm really focused on medical education and clinical anatomy research. What are some of those things that you would have done differently? Oh, I could I could go on and on and on about this topic. <laughs> so, the, I advise a lot of pre-med students. Uh, it's one of the, the really enjoyable parts of my my job and when I was applying to med school I fell right into the trap that you had to memorize everything and get really good grades and that ended up becoming a really really stressful part of schooling I remember when I, I got a, a really bad grade in chemistry and I thought the entire world was going to come crashing down on my shoulders uh, and, and I, you know the person of comfort in my life was actually my mom at the time and, and she said, well, you're doing well in everything else. You can't be perfect in, in, in everything. And I said, okay, all right, all right, I'll keep going. Then I didn't do so hot in physics. <laughs> so, but I ended up, I actually love physics. I, it, it's a lot of fun. I was just looking at it the wrong way. So a academically, I was so focused on memorizing everything. I just forgot to learn. I forgot to enjoy why I went into science in the first place. And I think when you're in the rat race of, of pre-medicine or you know, pre-professional career, and, and no matter what you do, it's so easy to get caught up in the competition of trying to be the most perfect or the best person. And, you know, going back thinking, had I changed my paradigm to, to something, you know, just a little tweak in thinking, how can I become an, an amazing person instead? How, how through the sciences can, can I really just learn and, um, and, and figure out how I can make a contribution to the world? That would have changed everything for me because that would have been instead of getting the grades as my motivation then becoming a better person would have been a, mo a better motivator and i i think for most people at least well almost every person that i've i have advised that's a game changer when people realize that it's not about grades um, now i have all sorts of philosophies about why that might be but i i think if we if we don't fall into that trap and really focus on learning and becoming becoming better people and trying to figure out our sphere of influence to make that happen it it, it changes everything in terms of how we how we learn and how we approach learning yeah i think that's really good advice for people watching this i feel like i tend to get caught up in my grades a lot as well um when did you decide to work in the medical industry uh, well, like I alluded to earlier, it, it happened when I was in college. So I, I was taking my first semester college courses and, and uh, I loved all of them. And, and just for fun, I decided to take a biology class because why not? I needed a science. And that biology class led to more biology classes. And by the time I was halfway through my sophomore year in college, I decided to switch majors from economics to, um, to zoology. And then um, during my sophomore year, uh, another semester or two later, I think into my junior year, I de decided to switch to biology uh, because I felt like it was a better pre-med major for me, even though I was actually doing uh, research in an undergraduate research lab uh, in zoology. Uh, but I would say, so I would say definitively sometime around um, the middle of my sophomore year is when I decided to make the switch. What are some character traits that are important to the industry? 
Uh, to the industry that I'm in or, or industry in general? Uh, to the industry that you are in. Sure. Um, the reason why I ask that is because some of the traits that are important to medical education and, and medicine uh, are, are pretty ubiquitous across industries. So essentially, I think I'm answering my other question too. So I am on um, two medical school admissions committees, which is also another fun part of my job. Uh, it's, it's the other side of mentoring, if you will. Uh, and in, in that aspect, I look for three things in every candidate. The number one, number one thing that I look for is empathy. If, if someone can express how they have learned from other people and um, can understand what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes, that person is gonna go far. The, the, the close related cousin to empathy is resilience. Someone who has uh, been through a lot. Now, I, I'm not saying you have to go find things to, 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 you know, to, to occupy your time or get yourself into trouble, but someone who's been through a lot and can learn from that experience so they can be empathetic, that person is gonna be very successful no matter what they do. And then the third thing, which sounds like it has nothing to do with the other two, but it's actually very related, is creativity. How does someone think outside the box? So this actually goes back to uh, my answer for your previous question about, you know, um, what, what I would change if I went back and talked to my 20-year-old self. I was so focused on academics and grades that there was no room for creativity or thinking about things differently. And if you if you do an examination of, of the most famous STEM E people uh, or STEM people in in the history of our you know modern history, none of them really were you know go to school type in the box people. All of them were incredibly creative. They all thought about problems that people have been knocking their heads over for who knows how long in a way that was very different and creative. And so creativity is also very important. I like, I like artists because I, I think artists add a lot to science. Um, they, they just look at the world differently. And I think that's incredibly valuable in terms of diverse thought and, and, um, uh, and diversity in, in, in general. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, what do you like about your profession? Oh gosh, uh, I like a lot of things. I, I think every profession, every job that anyone holds is about 70 to 80% love and 30 to 20% hate. I don't, I, I don't think you can escape that, that, that you know, one fifth or, or, you know, or one third of that part where like, ah, yeah. So uh, the, the, the part that I love about my career, my profession is, uh, I'm probably the flexibility. I, I, um, I don't really feel like I'm locked into too, in, too many things. I have a lot of freedom. Uh, again, going back to creativity, I have a lot of academic freedom to think about things outside the box. I don't feel like I'm constrained so much by uh, you know, too many duties. I have a lot to do that, that, that's different, right? Um, so one of the things that I'm glad I, I did not go into medicine for one of the reasons is that in, in medicine, you're pretty tied to cl the clinic. That, that is the, the reason why you go. It's, it's the, the financial, the economic driver for that career is to see patients and make money for whatever entity you're a part of, whether that's uh, 
an academic institution, a hospital, or yourself. You're pretty tied into that. The nice thing about scientific research is yes, I'm tied into grant cycles and, 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 and writing papers and, and things like that, but I feel like that that's, that's really more of a canvas of being an artist, a scientific artist, if you will, versus I have to do this or I have to do that. Um, I, at least I don't see it that way. I, I do know many people who get caught in the rat race though, and I think that's very tempting, but that, you know, that's no different from any profession. I think the, uh, the, the, the nice thing about flexibility is uh, there are many times when I have lots of time with my family and I love that. I, I think that's wonderful. They also know that there are times when I'm just not as available as, as other times. So that communication, of course, is something that we're always navigating. Uh, what else? I think, uh, I think in, in addition to flexibility, I really love creating knowledge. I think there's just something cool about you know, no one understands how this works and no one's discovered it. And, and, you know, my team and I, we think, well, can we, is that a problem we can solve? Is that something we could at least try? Um, and we go for it. And, and actually this kind of goes back to thinking outside the box. One of the big differences between uh, my profession and, and other professions is that in my profession, for the most part, there are no answers. You know, we, we work really hard to tr try to figure out what are the answers that that would seem reasonable that we could, um, you know, that we could prove? Um, you know, obviously it's going to be scrutinized, and we get that. That's part of it, but that's really cool. You know, that that I can create something that no one else has discovered. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, kind of related to the previous question, what are some things that you dislike about your profession? Yeah, so that's that 70 to 20 percent that, that I don't like. <laughs> um, well, I, I think this goes for any profession, but but I have a hard time with politics. Politics is really hard for me to navigate. Ultimately, you know, when you go into science, the, the I like to say that the scientists are nerds in power, you know, <laughs> and so we, you know, people who normally don't get along are now in power positions and there's a lot of politics in science and the politics can get pretty ugly. Uh, but one of the things I've learned, that, you know, over the years is that, um, you know, it's, it's a necessary part of getting along with other people. And there are going to be some people you don't get along with and some people that you get along with better than others. Uh, and navigating through those waters can be treacherous, but it can also be uh, sometimes refreshing, uh, depending on the situation. So politics is always hard. I, I don't think you can ever get away with from that because there's just different people, you know, no matter what you do. So that's probably the big thing. Yeah, it seems kind of challenging to me too. How would you describe the work environment? Well, I'm really fortunate because uh, I'm in a really collegial work environment. I would say uh, that other places where I've been uh, a professor, I've been really lucky that most places I've been at have been really coll uh, collegial. Uh, people want to work together. They want to get things done. I've been really fortunate. I, I also know that not everybody has that experience. And uh, I'm just really grateful that I haven't really had that experience to, to a, a, a great extent. Uh, I love, so those are my faculty colleagues and staff colleagues. Um, I love working with students. I think they're, they're, it's super exciting for me to see somebody uh, progress through the career steps that they want to take. Uh, I was just check, uh, checking in on some fourth year med students just yesterday they had their match 
they know they matched or they know they didn't match. Uh, and on Friday, they, they figure out where they're going. But I was catching it with one of my best students. I would, well, I would consider her my best student I've ever taught. And to see how far she's come, I met her when she was an undergraduate student when she was 17. And now she's in her mid 20s and she's about to go off and become a neurosurgeon. And I'm just, I'm so excited for that. That really, that just, you know, gives me the bubbles. It just, it's just fun. That's really nice. Uh, what is the importance of medical education? Uh, so medical education is critical to the field of medicine. The, in medicine, the, I would say one of the most important, if not the most important factor is patient outcomes. Uh, now patient outcomes, uh, I would say of that, the two most important things is obviously if a patient survives, that's a big deal. Uh, but also if a patient doesn't feel pain, that's also a big deal. Uh, so the, the ability to improve patient outcomes is, is probably you know 99% dependent upon how well a physician can interact with and, um, uh, and understand what the best course of treatment is for that patient. So if you work all the way backwards uh, to, the, to the student's learning environment who is eventually gonna become a physician, medical education is really the philosophy by which we are creating this learning environment so that particular student, and multiply this times the number of doctors you have or ever will have, um, so that particular student not only learns the content, learns the science, learns how to apply that science, but also learns how to become an independent, uh, an independent self-directed learner that can work with other people. And getting to that level uh, is medical education, all the way from, you know, what is a cell to how are we going to solve a problem that no one has solved before? The medical education covers all of that. So it is, it's a huge field. And there are so many different aspects of medical education that are important. I mean, it's all important, really. I, I, I'm biased though, I'll, I'll give you that. The, um, so it's, it's hugely important. If we did not have a formal discipline of medical education, uh, I really think we would have no educational structure by which we are training professionals that have a high stakes um, environment in treating patients. Yeah, that does seem really important. Um, what are some of the challenges that you faced in your job? Well, if we talk about medical education, I, I think that one of the biggest challenges is that the field is changing so fast. Uh, there are always new ways people have discovered on, on how people learn best. One of the gaps in knowledge, and this is a ripe area of research now, uh, the area is called educational neuroscience or, or the science of education. And it's a ripe field because the typical discipline that, that tackles this field, this, um, the problems are, are cognitive psychologists or psychologists. And the techniques that they use are very different than some of the basic science techniques. So if we just take brain imaging, for instance, a basic scientist that is imaging um, brain function using something like a functional MRI or an EEG or a functional near-infrared spectroscopy, any of those kinds of techniques, uh, they have a very honed-in question and a hypothesis and they answer that question. 
But that scientific question isn't necessarily generalizable to learning in, you know, um, to learning in, in people. The other side of that spectrum are cognitive psychologists who, who really think of things from a, 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 with a big umbrella, but their, um, their scientific uh, experiments are not necessarily single variable type of experiments. Uh, now, I'm not speaking for all basic scientists. I'm not speaking for all cognitive psychologists, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm generalizing. The gap is, is that how do you, how do you relate studies that look at single variables and studies that look at multiple variables and try to make sense out of them? And how does that translate to actual education? And that gap is huge. There, that hasn't been solved and it probably won't be solved anytime in the near future. I'm, we're hoping it will be, and I'm kind of in that intersection right now, but it's, it's a huge scientific problem. In the meantime, we still have to graduate students, right? So, so that still is happening. We still need to you know, accept medical students, teach them and send them off to the clinic. And what ends up happening is parallel to how scientific translation, you, know, you develop something in engineering and how, how long does it take to get to bedside? The average time is about 10 years. I don't have a I don't have a, rate, a rigid number on what happens with what I would call translational education, but it's probably closer on the order of 20 years. It's probably you know more like a generational effect, where what we're doing right now is affecting the next generation. But by the time we get, as we're progressing in time, our knowledge of how how people learn is 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 changing. So here's a great example. Back in my day, we. Um, we had this notion about uh, learning styles. Learning styles is a big thing, and I'm pretty sure you've probably heard about learning styles, but now there's this amazing amount of literature coming out saying that learning styles are actually not really valid. And one of the reasons why they're not really valid is because people really aren't, they're, they're not really learning, put into learning boxes. There's, you know, and when, when, we, when we put people in the learning boxes, it doesn't take into account the intersectionality of different ways that people learn at different times. And so learning styles in effect has really boxed people in into labels, if you will, and has actually limited learning instead of expanding it, right? But we didn't know that one generation ago. And so an entire generation of people <laughs> have been labeled with, with different learning styles. So that's the problem, right? It's, it's, it's a big one, it's a big one. So we're doing the best we can. Uh, the research just doesn't progress fast enough. We would love it to. Anyway, yeah, I, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, that does seem really challenging to me. What do you see in the future for medicine and medical education? Well, I can tell you what's happening right now, and I'll, I'll make a few predictions. Right now, most uh, medical education programs are, are undergoing a massive shift. A um, hundred years ago, the philosophy was, well, let's just you know, a little over 100 years ago. Let's just teach students according to how our institution teaches students. And there was no standardization of, um, of how, medic how doctors were being educated. So if you went to one doctor versus another, you really didn't know if that person was well-trained. Now, granted, 100 and plus years ago, we didn't know the science that we know now. So, you know, there, there wasn't as much content, if you will, or as much scientific knowledge that we could deal with. So, uh, you know, um, a person by uh, Dr. Flexner came came along. Um, I believe his first name is Abraham. Uh, Flexner came and standardized medical education 
uh, into four years in what's called the two plus two program. Two years basic science and two years clinical science. And we've held on to that paradigm ever since. But in the last 10 to 15 years, actually 15 to 20 now, uh, that paradigm is starting to crumble. It's starting to blow up because what we've realized is, is that you can train the best basic scientists. They might not necessarily translate into even a competent clinician. And so now there's a lot of blurring in the two plus two model. Uh, some schools are shortening the amount of basic science uh, uh, time. And you would think, well, that would be a bad thing. It turns out it's not so bad. And I'll explain why in a second. Um, the, the board certification tests are changing. All sorts of things are changing. So we train more clinicians as opposed to training, you know, hardcore scientists. And for the most part, it's working. Uh, what we've discovered along the way, again, this goes back to sort of this, this, this up and down in terms of the balance of science and education. Uh, we're discovering that yes, doctors do need to know some science. <laughs> it's, it's kind of important. As, as we've discovered that, we're realizing that there's a lot of redundancy in how we present the science. And there's a lot of um, science in it that's taught in a vacuum. So the people who are trained to teach the science are trained in programs where they're focused on their discipline. But medical education now is so interdisciplinary that we're running into this tension where there are fewer and fewer people that can teach multidisciplinary topics. And since medicine, medical education is moving towards multidisciplinary, what we call systems-based approaches to understanding multiple things happening at one time, uh, you know, there's not as many trained uh, uh, basic scientists or even clinicians that, that can teach that. The good news is, is that we're all learning. And again, this is where lifelong learning comes, comes into play. And so as these curricula, which I think it's actually a good movement to, to blend the basic sciences with the clinical sciences, I think the future of medical education is you're going to have people that are trained in multiple disciplines teaching people in multiple disciplines. So we're not going to have single siloed people. We might still have people that specialize. I don't think that's ever gonna go away. But I think, you know, instead of a surgeon that only focuses on say the, you know, the abdomen, that surgeon will also have more and deeper knowledge in other areas of science and medicine. Uh, so anyway, I, I think that's that's super exciting how, how that's gonna happen. But it's, it's gonna take a different paradigm of, of how we train students, even from high school all the way up. The whole system has to change in order for that to happen. So I think that's a biggie, that, that basically we're, 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 um, we're really blending basic and clinical sciences. I'll tell you why this is important. Uh, and it's because when we're training clinicians, we're, we're not really as interested anymore in whether a clinician knows everything about something. We are interested to know if a clinician can adapt to novel situations. So this goes back to uh, resilience and creativity. It is a clinician, an adaptive expert is the term that's often coined. Can they take a context of information that they've learned and apply it to a new problem on the fly, right? And um, uh, hopefully it doesn't have to be you know, that urgent, but but at least to, to think about problems differently as they emerge. and and. That's important because the science itself changes so fast. We're, we're not in the same time period where we were 100 plus years ago, where everybody knew that, you know, 
This is this is this part of the science. I mean, 100 plus 10 years ago, we didn't, we didn't even know what neuroscience was. That that entire field hadn't been invented yet. So so um, anyway, yeah. That does seem like a really big change. Um, if I'm a middle school, middle or high school student interested in pursuing medicine, what can I do today to set myself up for success? Uh, that this is a great question. I think the number one thing. Uh, a young student, a middle school or, or high school student, and by the way, it's never too late to start. Uh, the, the best thing you can do is to volunteer and and um, get to know people. Learn learn how to work with people in uncomfortable situations. That that's probably um, the, the things that that build uh, empathy, resilience, and creativity the fastest is is really diving into something and then. I mean, diving into something that you're that you're uncomfortable with, that you can really make an impact on people, but then also something that you can really take ownership over. Um, now, when I say volunteering, a lot of people will say, "Well, I'll, you know, I'll volunteer in the hospital," and that is fantastic. But we need people who will volunteer and and recognize problems in that hospital and and work with other people to solve those problems. And that can happen, you know, uh, junior high, high school. So it, it's never too early to, to at least get a taste for that. Yeah, that seems like really good advice to me. Um, what advice would you give to the students in this field? Any pearls of wisdom? Uh, in the field, in terms of what, what level are they in their education? Are they are they um, undergraduate, professionals? Um, high schoolers, I guess. High schoolers? Okay, great. So. Um, Again, I, I think with, with high schoolers, in addition to uh, you know going out there and finding volunteer opportunities, even working, by the way, uh, you know finding a job that, that you're working and it doesn't even have to be in medicine. I mean that's helpful, that's nice, but the, the high school jobs in medicine are hard to find. Uh, volunteer positions are a little bit easier, but find something again where where you're you're getting out of your, your little circle. And, and really interacting with people. Now, not everybody likes to interact with people. I would say that my, myself, I'm, I'm not an extrovert. I, I would call, consider myself an introvert. I love sitting in movie theaters by myself and having my popcorn. I, I know that's very energizing for me. It's probably why I went into radiology. <laughs> so, um, I, so anyway, you know, get out there and interact with people and, and be mindful of the impact you're having on others but more importantly, the impact they're having on you. Uh, in other words, get out of yourself. Get, you know, go out there and, and, and interact um, to, to the best of your abilities, of course. What about students in like a higher level, like undergrad or graduate school? Okay, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad you followed up with that. So um, with undergraduate, I, I would say explore a number of different fields. Uh, and if you've settled on medicine, uh, or, or basic science or medical education for that matter. If you've set, settled on those things, then really pursue how all of your life's work that you're, 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 um, uh, how, how your life's work is coming together that leads you to medicine. So if you're an undergraduate student, let's say you speak a foreign language, how can you take advantage of your polyglot skills and uh, you know, improve someone's life uh, medically related. You know, could you go translate in a clinic? I think that would be great. Um, from a from an admission standpoint, we kind of like to look at 
key themes in people's lives that have led them down to the path of medicine. So it could be, well, I, you know, I love to travel. So did that person go on a medical mission? Um, you know, did that person uh, spend time in a free clinic? Um, super important. Do, do they understand? Again, this goes back to empathy. Do they understand what it's like to, to live in someone else's shoes? Are they volunteering or working in a, in a, in a, in a free clinic or, or with, with people that they normally would not have encountered? Ultimately, we're looking for physicians that can relate with multiple types of people and be empathetic to their situation. I mean, I'm sure you can understand. The last thing you want to do is go visit the doctor who has absolutely no empathy for your medical situation, right? That just doesn't sound like a good scenario. So we try to look for students that have really gone above and beyond into that. Now, if, you, if the person has gone into medicine, they're in medical school or they're in uh, graduate school, I recommend to them to, again, more exploration, but to be the best at whatever they're doing then. When you get to that level, and we've talked a little bit about how difficult medical school can be or even graduate school. Uh, yeah, it's difficult because the load of content that you're learning is orders bigger than what you've done before. One way to look at it is four years of high school is gonna be reviewed in you know, maybe a semester as an undergrad and four years of undergrad might be reviewed in two weeks in medical school. You know, it's it's kind of like that. But but see, if you think about this in terms of content and grades, that is overwhelming. But if you think about it in terms of, oh, this is my opportunity to learn even more about what the little bit of I know, then it's really it's really not that overwhelming. It's 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 it becomes more of a wow, you know, in addition to my first course of my meal, I get the second and the third course. You know, it's, it's fantastic, right? Um, so, but well, when you're when a professional student is in the middle of being in med school, for instance, it it can be overwhelming. It's just a lot of time, and so I suggest that students, whatever they're studying at the moment, to do the best that they can at that moment, and uh, and go from there. Now. That is coupled at all levels, whether we're talking about professional school, graduate school, um, uh, undergraduate, high school, junior high, uh, that is coupled with the very, very, very important concept of wellness. People need to take time to rest uh, and, and to, to really uh, recenter sometimes because again, you can lose the forest for the trees, so to speak. And unless you really have a good focus center on who you are, why you're doing this, do I, am I rested? Um, it, it is so easy to lose sight of what you're doing. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be sleepless nights, that that happens, right? But then after that, you've got to take some time and just reflect, um, take a break, uh, even if it's short. Like the cat nap is the best thing ever, <laughs> you know, just, just anything to be able to really uh, uh, heal up uh, and, and then take it to the next level from there. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, if I wanted to be a medical educator, what college major should I pursue? Oh, great question. The answer is any of them. So, uh, you know, when, when, and this is related to even medical school applicants, the, I always recommend that the, the college years are, are that, that's your time to explore. You're not going to ever get that back. It, it was a really enjoyable time for me. I, I somehow, once I got out of that trap of, again, I said I was in that trap of focusing on grades, but once I started pulling myself away from that, I started realizing, wow, this is a time when I can 
you know, go, you know, go take uh, a course in underwater basket weaving or something, you know, go, go explore that. That's not a, that's a colloquialism, <laughs> but go, go explore different fields, different things. Uh, I love um, graduate students and, and medical students uh, any, or anyone that ends up uh, going into medical education. I love it when they have a diverse set of experiences. Uh, again, I, I, I mentioned that I love artists. Um, the creativity is, it brings a really a fresh perspective to science in general. Uh, you know, wh when you're going into these uh, professional schools, you have to take the prerequisite classes no matter what you do. So it makes more sense to me to go, you know, if you love music, go be a music major. That, that's what really, really floats your boat and, 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 and really makes you want to show up for the day. But because you are interested in science as well and want to go down the medical route, you still got to take the chemistry and the physics. That's not going to change, right? Uh, or the biology. But then you've got that music part that is balancing you. And this goes back to, to wellness. Yeah, I didn't know you could just major with anything. Like I thought oh, it had yeah. to be specific. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, some of my uh, most favorite candidates actually didn't major in science. And again, they had to take the science courses anyway, uh, but they just had this really fresh perspective on what they were doing. Yeah, that's Great. really interesting. Yeah. Um, what are some of the different career paths in this in industry? So medical education is, is quite varied, if we talk about that. The, again, med medical education in general is huge. You know, if we talk about the actual uh, learning and, and how do you study learners or, or teachers or, or you, you talk about course development, curriculum development, administration, uh, each one of those components in and of itself could be an entire career. And for most people, that is the case. Um, or you could do the span of those, which is what I've chosen to do, because I like to see the the medical education from beginning to end in the same way that I my basic science research is the lifespan from basically the beginning to the end, mostly focused on the end, end part of life. Um, so there, there's lots of different career choices, uh, different niches that a person can pursue. It really, really depends on what you're most interested in. Uh, medical education also doesn't have to be uh, focused on medical education. It can be more focused on public health, like uh, um, medical education in the context of diversity. Um, you know, or medical education in the context of, of economics. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different ways to, to, to pursue it. Um, again, it really boils down to what you're interested in, what, what you want to make out of that sphere of influence that you're going to take ownership over and then and make it into something great. If we talk about basic science, that one also very varied but the track is, is fairly narrow. So as you, as you pick a, a basic science track as, and you're, you're moving along, so let's say you're interested in medical education, but from the point of view of educational neuroscience, you're gonna become more of a bench researcher. And there is a, a certain path of graduate school and finding a good mentor, um, you know, publishing papers, establishing yourself as a basic scientist. There isn't a lot of leeway on that, but when you get to the end, and you decide, well, you know, I want to be more cross-disciplined and work more in medical simulation. Yeah, you can do that, right? It, ju it just means that you have to do a little bit retraining, maybe um, co collaborating with people who are more experts in their fields. And you always learn along the way. Um, yeah. OK, 
Okay, my next question is, what is your advice to parents of students who want to pursue the medical industry? Oh gosh, this is such a good question. Um, I would say parents need to back off. The, the, uh, the thing that I've seen most parents do that have, that have killed their, their children's desire to going into medicine, medical education, professional school, is that they try to implant their dreams onto their children, or they try to, um, you know, uh, um, they, they, they try to narrow their child's focus into just being academic and getting good grades. I'm not saying good grades aren't important. They're definitely important. But I'll tell you, as a person on, on an admissions committee, seeing it from that side of, of the equation, I would take a B plus, A minus student any day over a straight A student. And the reason why is because the straight A students, not all of them, there's a very select few that can do this, but the very, very 4.0 students, if you will, or 4.5, whatever your GPA scale is, you know, those students are really book smart. They tend not to be really very good thinkers. And it, particularly in high stakes professions like medicine, I want the thinkers. I want the ones that have failed here and there, that have, you know, worked their way out of difficult situations. Again, this goes back to empathy, resilience, and creativity, right? And for the most part, in my experience, the ones that are so focused on grades, and that's all they do, they're just not very successful in the clinic. Now, again, there are some that have been able to do that, but I can actually see that from their application. You know, yes, they did get the good grades. They did do really well on their on their um, on their MCAT or the GRE or whatever the case may be. But they also did this. Okay, that's a special individual, right? That's somebody I, I'm definitely going to want to extend an invitation to school to. But for the most part, you know, not everybody's perfect. So I, I really like students that um, have lived, you know, and, and aren't so focused on books. That brings me reassurance because I do not have perfect grades. And I always thought that to be a doctor, you need to have perfect grades like all throughout everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, um, not true, not true. Now, do you have to have good grades? Generally, yes, <laughs> but you don't, you don't have to have perfect grades. And there's multiple ways to becoming a physician. So, uh, you know, there, there are, are stereotypical methods to, to getting there. Um, and same with graduate school, same with going to medical education, whatever the case may be, they're, they're sort of your stereotypical pathways but there are so many different ways to accomplish something. Again, it really boils down to, you know, what contribution do you want to make? How, how much of an amazing person do you want to be? Well, let's find the pathway that works for that. What do you want to do or continue doing in the future? Uh, gosh, I, I mean, I want to solve world peace, I guess. <laughs> I just, there's, there's lots of things I'd love to do. I, I, I think in terms of what I'm doing right now with my career, probably priority number one is mentoring students so that they reach their goals and then can move beyond that. Uh, um, that's probably the most exciting part of what I do in terms of medical education and, and science. I, I mean, I, I guess I'm unique in terms of I, I run my science lab with the focus of helping my lab students uh, go through the process of discovery. So the, you know, as they go through the process of the discovery, they mature as people uh, and that prepares them better than if they were just task oriented. 
or I, I used a term earlier of, of, of becoming adaptive experts versus being content experts. So um, I, I basically want to help students uh, attain their goals. That is a super high priority for me. Uh, one of those things in helping students attain their goals is training teachers on helping them attain their goals. So training teachers to, to teach better in the classroom so that students don't come out of a class feeling like they're dumb is really, really important. Uh, you said that you were part of like an admissions committee, right? Like accepting students into med school and stuff. Uh, I was wondering if I could ask like what extracurriculars look good on applications. Ah, I, I, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, okay, so the way you phrase that, that is is something I key on key in on frequently. And, and the way you asked is what do I what extracurriculars uh, look good for my application? And I say this to everyone that I mentor. If you are approaching the process, asking yourself, what do I need to do to be qualified? You're already doing it wrong. You're already going about the wrong way. So um, now that's not a criticism. It's just an awareness uh, statement. But as I alluded to earlier, the most important thing is to become somebody who's amazing in the sense that you really trying to explore how you can better yourself and the people around you. So with that framework and that paradigm, what extracurriculars matter? It, uh, all of them. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. What is, what is key is that you had significant impact on somebody or some population, uh, some demographic, uh, and they had an impact on you and that helped you reflect to become better from there. The mistake that I see all the time as a member of a medical school admissions committee, and also I'm, I'm on a graduate uh, student, uh, or I have been on a graduate student admissions committee, so I see this there as well, is that um, students become so focused on the grades, they get so focused on, oh, I have to do this activity and this activity, that it, it, it translates into just a, a lot of nice lipstick on a pig, right? Here, here is, Here's something I did, great. Here's another thing I did, great. But there's no growth. There's no personal growth. And so it's hard for me to predict how that person is gonna progress through medical school and become an amazing physician. But a person who pursues activities for the purpose of making an impact and becoming a better person as a result, it's night and day the type of candidate uh, that that person is. And uh, another question I have for you is, um, can you take us through your training and your education? Sure, I'm going to give you some more specifics on my training. Uh, so I, again, I graduated from high school and I went um, to straight to university. I uh, studied uh, biology at the University of Washington. As I mentioned before, I actually started as an economics communications major and then fell in love with science. But once I went down the, the science track, again, thinking that I well, you know, you become a scientist and what else is there to do but become a physician. And when I was going down that route, I, uh, I took the hardcore science classes, biology, uh, physics, chemistry, math, uh, you know, the, the basic science courses. And then uh, the, uh, the elective courses, I chose to do electives that were related to science uh, because I was interested in research. 
And the irony of, of pursuing medical school actually trained me better for graduate school than actual medicine for all the reasons that I mentioned before in terms of, I was so hyper-focused on the science. I didn't, you know, I didn't think that there were other things to do. And by the time I figured it out, it's like, oh, this is great. But then I didn't have very many years left in, in school to be able to accomplish those things. So I graduated from the, from the University of Washington with my biology degree. And from there, most people would actually apply to medical school at that point uh, and hopefully get in. I decided to teach for at least one year. So I taught high school uh, in the Seattle area. And then uh, uh, I, while I was applying for med school, and then I decided to teach another year. And during that second year, uh, or actually just before that second year, I had decided to actually pursue graduate work. And I decided to apply to two different types of schools. I applied for a, um, an, a doctorate in education and I applied for two schools for masters in and some sort of neuroscience because that was what I was interested in at the time. And of the three schools, I got into the, the doctorate in education program and the master's program in anatomy, anatomy and neurobiology at Boston University School of Medicine. Uh, and it was literally, which one do I go to? I probably would have been successful either way. Um, and I ended up going to, uh, to Boston University School of Medicine to study anatomy and neurobiology. While there, I started with my master's degree and I did okay. It was, it, was a, um, it was a really rough transition after working in the field as a teacher for two years, but I figured it out eventually. And I, I actually got um, paired with a, a, just a fantastic mentor the, that um, uh, helped me focus in on age-related uh, diseases. I went into graduate school wanting to study attention deficit disorder, maybe autism, but I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And the lab that I was in actually was was an aging lab, an, an age, sorry, aging diseases lab. And um, and I had the opportunity to work with uh, animals in my experiment, in my experimental paradigm, and uh, learned how to do uh, magnetic resonance imaging and some behavioral studies. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I really had a great time in, in graduate school. I graduated with my PhD in anatomy and neurobiology. This is now 2003. Uh, just to give you an idea of the time scale, I, I graduated from college in 1994, taught for two years, then was in graduate school for about six years. And then uh, in 2003, I accepted a postdoctoral position at Massachusetts General Hospital uh, in radiology. So that's where I learned some radiology skills. I um, started doing uh, experimental um, projects working with uh, human subjects as opposed to animals and then uh, while I was there I was also doing um, I was also teaching at Simmons College uh, in uh, anatomy which is really my, the first time that I had a significant role as a course director and I learned a lot <laughs> I, was, I was not a great course director to start but I, I learned as we went along and that really got me started on this road toward medical education uh, the radiology part really helped me get into hardcore medical education. I got hired at UCLA, uh, so the David Geffen School of Medicine over there, and my focus was on bringing in radiology into anatomical sciences education. Uh, and then from there, I guess that's my training to, to that point, but from there I went to uh, Brigham Young University and the University of Utah. At, at BYU, I became the director for 
their uh, magnetic resonance imaging lab. Sorry, one of the one of the associate directors, excuse me, uh, for the magnetic resonance imaging lab. And also, I was teaching uh, gross anatomy at the University of Utah. And then uh, from there, I was recruited to return to my alma mater here at Boston University School of Medicine, mostly because along the way, I not only was able to integrate uh, imaging, neuroscience, basic science uh, research with education, but I was involved in curriculum development at all of the schools that I mentioned. And uh, Boston University School of Medicine was undergoing a major curriculum reform, which we're still in the middle of right now. And the opportunity to be able to help my alma mater was just too, get, too, too good to give up. Yeah, that sounds like a really long process. It is, the time goes by fast though. I'll tell you, it goes by really fast. Um, so that's it for our interview. Thank you so much, Dr. Wisco, for your time. And thank you to our viewers. Be sure to check out our other episodes and subscribe to our channel. And stay up to date with all our upcoming events and activities by following us on, following us on social media and signing up for our mailing list. We are also planning a live event with Dr. Wisco on May 22nd, so stay tuned. Check the description for the links and see you next time. Thank you so much.